Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this time to proclaim your word. Lord, I pray that you be with me, an unworthy instrument, and use me to uh, bless your people. Lord, open your people's ears and hearts. And so just edify your people, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Not yet. We'll pray. We'll pray in a second. All right. Uh, Martin Luther once said that there is no greater comfort on earth than baptism. And it's often uh, noted that when Martin Luther was in great distress, he would often tell himself, I am baptized. I am baptized. Now, I would venture to say most of us, that's not our normal response, right? Um, when things are going bad and the world seems to be crowding in on us, uh, I don't usually people hear people saying, I am baptized, I am baptized. So uh, was Martin Luther wrong about this or what was going on there? And then let's think more biblically. What about the Bible? Well, 1 Peter 3.21 does say, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. So what's going on here? Does baptism save us? Well, in some sense, this passage does say baptism now saves you. But before you pick out your stones and want to stone me, or before you start thinking that we're saved by baptism, consider 1 Corinthians 1.17, where Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. This is the very text that I used when I was speaking to some Mormons, and they were suggesting that uh, we must be baptized. They believed in baptismal regeneration, that the very act of baptism regenerated them, and that this was something that was necessary to be saved. And I pointed out here that very clearly Paul distinguishes uh, baptism, which he Christ did not send him to do, but uh, rather to preach the gospel. And this made no sense if, in fact, baptism was a part of the gospel. And let us recall what the gospel is or what the gospel does. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is what saves us. How do we reconcile this? One passage says that baptism now saves you. Another passage says, I didn't come to baptize at all, but I came to preach the gospel. And the gospel, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. I think the way that we reconcile this um, is by looking at the context of 1 Peter chapter 3, where that quote, baptism now saves you, is found. So if you have a Bible, please open to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 20 and 21. God's word reads this way. It says, they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. So what saves us according to this passage? Well, baptism, but not just baptism, but baptism, which corresponds to this. Now, the question is, well, what is this? Well, the, the scene right before is Noah and the eight persons being brought safely through the ark. So it's baptism as it corresponds to the ark that now, now saves us. And it's explicitly mentioned that it's not the actual waters of baptism that saves you. That's why it says it's not the removal of dirt from the body that saves us, but according to verse 21, it's an appeal to God for a good conscience. Now, what does this expression mean? Well, one of the best ways, uh, if you're in a quick and a hurry and you see something in the Bible, you don't know what it means, one of the easiest things to do is just go through and compare uh, 
the translation you have with some more paraphrastic translations uh, and just going through multiple translations, because oftentimes there will be some translations that try to smooth around the text or they'll show you variations in the text. And that's what I've done here. Uh, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, renders that passage, uh, a appeal to God for a good conscience. It renders it the pledge of a good conscience towards God. And so the idea here is that this is a pledge that we're giving to God that's done in a good conscience, i.e. it is sincere. And what is the pledge? The pledge is that we give ourselves, body and soul, to our Lord Jesus Christ, that we give up ownership. We say Jesus is Lord, which means you're not Lord, which means that you are now subjected to him. So this is the cry of faith or the expression of repentance. Think about the famous passage in Romans 10, 9, which says, if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we have the external, we must confess, cry out to the Lord, ask him to be saved, but that alone won't save you. You need to actually have a good conscience. You need to be sincere. You need to believe with the heart that God has raised him from the dead, and then you will be saved. The other possibility of what this uh, interesting phrase means is actually captured in ESV, which would be an appeal to God for a good conscience. So one is saying that I made a pledge or I made an appeal to God with a good conscience. The other is that the uh, appeal to God is for the good conscience. In other words, I want the good conscience. And what's going on here is this, that we're filthy, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're full of sin. We deserve condemnation. We know, look at Romans chapter one, that all of these things deserve death. And not only do we do them, but we encourage others to do these very things. So we are guilty. And we have the sense of a marred conscience and the fact that we know that when we face God, right, it's appointed man wants to die and after this a judgment. And we live in lifelong slavery of the fear of death because we know we'll face God and we'll be condemned. And so in order to get our conscience cleared, to get a good conscience, we must go to God and take the provision that he has given us to be cleansed. Paul put it this way in Acts 13, 38. He said, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is free from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That's what we proclaim. That is the gospel, is that, that Christ can cleanse you from that which nothing else could cleanse you from. You can only be freed by Jesus Christ. Or consider Romans chapter 8, verse 3. It says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Christ did what we couldn't do. We failed. We broke the law. Christ fulfilled the law. And then he plants that. He implants that. He gives it to us. He reckons it to our account when we trust in Jesus Christ. Either way that you take that passage, whether it's a pledge to God that you are making him Lord and that you trust in his salvific work and a good conscience, or if you're asking God for a good conscience, either way, you ultimately break it down. And what's happening there is the person is being saved by faith. They're trusting in God, they're repenting of their sins, and they're going to them. And this is how baptism now saves us. Baptism is picturing the ark, the ark of Noah. And so the picture here is that when the people during the time of the flood were outside of the ark, the flood water came and they all died, okay? Because the wrath of God 
consumed them, destroyed them because they were left in themselves. But when the people were inside of the ark, they were protected. And Jesus Christ is that ark. Jesus Christ is the one who is able to get us through the floodwaters of death, and we are to get there safely. And in fact, if you think about the ark, there are two entities that were really submerged in the water. You have the people who could not survive in and of themselves, and they drowned. And the ark itself was also submerged in water. Part of it was in the water, and then the, the, the ark itself was dealing with the water. But thanks be to God that God provided the ark with the ability to sustain the waters of death. And that's what ultimately Christ is, right? Christ is that ark, and Christ is able to sustain uh, life even through the waters of death. How? Is it because Christ did not die? No, Christ did certainly die, but death could not hold Christ. And Christ was able to bounce back up and conquer death. And so we in Christ also are able to conquer death. He died in our place so that when we are united to him, his death becomes our death and his resurrection becomes our resurrection. And that's why we see that very picture found in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the way that baptism saves us is because there's a true baptism that the physical baptism only corresponds to. And the true baptism is found in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which talks about the spirit, the one spirit, the Holy Spirit baptized us into one body so that Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, are all equal and we're all made to drink of the one spirit. So the Holy Spirit goes and baptizes our spirit. He plunges, he immerses, he places our spirit into the ark of Christ. And based on that ark, then we too die with Christ and we too are raised with newness of life and we receive new regeneration of life. And so in this way, in this way, Baptism now saves us because union with Christ is what saves us. And now there is no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. And so what ends up happening is this message is to be proclaimed to all people. And when people believe that, they are to tell other people that they believe that, namely the church, the one that Christ established at the gates of hell shall not prevail against. And once that person is has a credible profession of faith, then the church is to baptize that person, giving them a sign giving them a visible representation of something that already happened in their soul, namely that they are united to Christ and they are perfectly cleansed from all of their sin. So in this sense, Martin Luther was absolutely right. As we think about the distresses of our life, the question is, will you baptize? And I'm not ultimately talking about the physical baptism. I'm talking about the spiritual baptism. But the physical baptism is a token, is a picture, is a representation that's supposed to remind you, just as you can say, I was physically baptized, you can say I was spiritually baptized because I truly believed in Jesus Christ. And that's the only reason I should have been baptized in the first place. And that should give us unbelievable comfort, recognizing that we united to Christ. And what that means is, is not only do we share in his death, which is justification, and we share with his life, which is regeneration, but we will also be co-heirs with God and Christ, and we will reign with him forever. And that's so glorious, and that's why I think Martin Luther was absolutely right. As you go through the trials of this life and the worries of this life, remember, you're baptized. Remember, you're united to Christ. Remember, you're in that ark. And just as Noah got through 
and made it to the new earth, so too you will get through the waters of death and make it to the new earth. But we have to wait on him. That's, that's the life of the Christian faith. We're in that ark right now and we're waiting. We're waiting for the waters of death to come down and that we can get off that boat and see the new heavens and the new earth that God has prepared for us. So we look back to baptism. I've been baptized. I've been regenerated. I am saved. We look to our current state, not just backwards, but our current state and say, is the Holy Spirit testifying with my spirit that I am a child of God? And then we look to the future and say, one day I will be glorified and I will reign with God. And hopefully you can say with Paul, and 2 Timothy 4, 8, he says, there, there was laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also all who loved his appearing. That's our hope. Backwards, I've been baptized. Current, I have the testimony of the Spirit. And future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord will give me because I wait on him. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come.